Okay, welcome to the Wednesday night Bible study, or as I like to call it, the fastest hour of the week. Uh, <laughs> praise God. Uh, let's go ahead and open the word of prayer. Lord God, as always, we look to you for instruction. We look to you for guidance. We look to you for wisdom. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures that uh, guide our daily lives, um, show us who we are to be, show us what the structure of the church should be, and shows us things to come. And so, Lord, I thank you for those that are here, those that are on their way, and even those that couldn't make it tonight, Lord, or they're traveling around or listening via podcast, Lord, we just thank you that you open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our heart to receive what it is you have for us tonight in Daniel chapter 7. So again, Holy Spirit, you are the teacher. You guide us to thought, question, and response, whatever is needed. And in this, we just give you thanks, praise, and glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Okay. Daniel. As we've been the last six weeks, we find out Daniel's not quite so scary as we thought he was. With all this uh, visions and stuff, it's pretty easy once you... uh, go through them and, and uh, knock out the types and shadows and the things that are that are going on. Up to now, Daniel has been interpreting others' dreams. Tonight, he gets a dream himself. And this is where we're at tonight. And it's a transition because the first seven chapters, as I told you before, the first seven chapters are, are is how things relate to the Gentiles or the others. In the last five chapters, which we're going to start next week, are directed at Israel and what's coming up for Israel. So this is something that's uh, uh, going to be future tense. I wrote up here eschatology. Eschatology just means end time events. A lot of times we think all the end time events are in the book of Revelation. They're not. They're just part of the story there. And we're going to see tonight that there's a lot of correlation between Daniel chapter 7 uh, and some other stuff we're going to be reading in the next few weeks that line up with Revelation, that line up with also uh, Ezekiel, that line up with Zechariah, and uh, uh, even the Psalms, and then even uh, stuff in Matthew that Jesus uh, said. So all end-time events are not found in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is about end-time events, but that's not the only place you find it. And so what you get is, what you have in Daniel, if you know the relative sequence of Revelation, then what Daniel does, it just kind of comes right on top of that. It's not any different than, say, um, Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. It's not two accounts of creation. It's one account that fits together. Okay? So this is kind of what we're going to be looking at tonight. So, uh, again, stop me at any time. you have any questions or thoughts or comments, and we'll take care of that. Okay? So Daniel chapter 7, we're going to be talking about the beasts here. So what is all this stuff, what does all this mean? So Daniel chapter 7 verse 1. In the year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote his dream down and related the following summary of it. So this tells you what's going on. What's the difference between a dream and a vision? What he's saying is, the dream, he's asleep. The vision is what he saw while he was asleep. 
Okay? Make sense? I put down on your, your handout there some, some dates. Just so we can get an idea. How old do you think Daniel is right now? Anybody want to guess? Remember, he was a young boy when we started. Right? 20. 40. 40? 60s. 60s? Okay. Huh? 30. 20? 30. Leave. Just, just go. <laughs> 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 um, the year 605 was the year Daniel was taken into captivity into Babylon from Israel. 605 on your handout. He's 16 years of age then. 1539 is the year that he was in the lion's den. Okay, we talked about that last week. Well, now it's six years, it's a few years later. It's, it's uh, uh, um, the date of the vision is 553 B.C. And so Daniel is 68 years of age. He's 68. And actually, I think I transposed these wrong. I think it's supposed to be 605, 553, then 539. And uh, uh, so he's basically, he's 68 years old. So when you're reading it, you're, you're still thinking he's a young boy. He's, he's been, you know, ups and downs, as we read before, prior, and he's been, he's been through a lot of things, and the kingdom has changed, and he doesn't go back to Israel. He stays in Babylon, because he's one of the ruling class, right? So he stays in, in Babylon. So this is where all this happens. So now here comes the vision, verse 2, 2 to 8. Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind also was given to it. Verse 5. Behold, another beast, a second one, resembling a bear. It was raised up on one side, and three ribs were in its mouth, between its teeth. And thus they said to it, Arise, devour much meat. After this I kept looking, and behold, another one, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird, and the beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I kept looking in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying, and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had a crown of ten thorns, horns. And while I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out of the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes, like the eyes of a man, and the mouth uttering great boats. Sounds like one of your dreams, right? <laughs> right? You have these dreams, you wake up and say, what the heck did I just dream? What is this all about? What is going on? Well, you know, Daniel's dreams, remember, 
in everything that we've been reading, everything is prophetic. Everything is what's going to happen. So this vision and this dream is about something that is going to happen. And he says, you know, there's, you know, the 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 four winds. You know, it can also be translated the four spirits. Can also be translated as the four angels, were stirring up, bringing a message. In other words, you know, from from all of heaven, this message was being stirred up and it was being brought. Okay. Now again, remember, you're dealing with Jewish literature. You're dealing with uh, things that are poetic, uh, things that are, are, it's not narrative. It's going to, some, all this stuff is going to be revealed in the, in the chapter. But when you first read it, it's kind of like, I, I don't get what this beast, why it has heads and wings and what is all this about? And you're usually asleep by now because we can't figure this stuff out. So, the great four, the four great beasts, remember, the other dreams were about kingdoms. So these four beasts are about the coming kingdoms. Right? Because remember, he, he, uh, he spoke to Nebuchadnezzar about uh, what was going on, and then to Darius, what was going about the kingdom. You know, and, and he spoke of judgment about what was going to happen to the kingdom and stuff. And so now Daniel gets this vision of four coming kingdoms. And just to go ahead, from this point forward in world history, there's been three other times where nations have tried world domination. Okay? And we're going to be talking about them here. Because the world was much smaller then. But uh, just follow me with this. The first beast, it says, like a lion. A lion represents power and strength. It has wings like an eagle, which means power and swiftness. In both of these symbols, if you know the symbols of Babylon, they are symbols of Babylon. So if you were reading this or hearing this back in that day, and it talked about the first beast, and it talked about the lion and eagle's wings, right away you'd say, this is Babylon. You would know. It's like, today, what is our nation known as? What bird? Eagle. 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 So if you say, uh, in the, in the, if, if, if you were having a dream, and this nation that was like an eagle, you could be very easy for you to say, okay, it's talking about the United States. Right? In the, what's, what's the sign of Russia? Bear. Bear, yeah. So you, nations have these, you know, uh, 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 symbols that have been around for a long, long time. But a lot of times when we're reading scripture, we don't have access to those right and right next to us as we're reading it. So we don't really realize what, the, what they're talking about. So, so, so the first beast, like a lion, power and strength, eagle's wings, swiftness, both symbols were Babylon. And then it talks about, uh, let's see. Verse 4, the first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. It kept looking until its wings were plucked. Now remember, whose wings got plucked? Nebuchadnezzar. Because remember, he thought he was all that. And then he ended up losing his, his, his kingdom in a sense. He was out in the wilderness crazy. And I kept looking until its wings were plucked. And it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind was also given to it. Now here's a reference that, remember when Nebuchadnezzar was was crazy in a sense, he was acting like an animal. 
Remember? He was acting like a wild animal. Then he comes to his senses, and now he's, 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 he's trying to right some of his wrongs. He's now back standing on his feet. He's now back in charge of the kingdom, but he is changed. So this is a reference to current Babylon at that time. Second beast, like a bear, which means great strength. Now this represents the Medo-Persia Empire. Medo, M-E-D-O space Persia, P-E-R-S-I-A. And this is the Medo-Persia Empire that came in and conquered Babylon right after all of this. And so the second beast, like a bear, it represents the Medo-Persian Empire. The three ribs could represent uh, Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon, uh, which preceded the empire. So in other words, prior to that, the three great uh, uh, world leaders were were Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon. And so we think that now Medo-Persia comes in, and now it's the dominant force in the world, and the idea is that it's stronger and mightier than those others, and that's why the idea of it has it in its mouth. And it says, you know, eat and uh, uh, keep eating, keep devouring. Okay? The third beast, a leopard. A leopard is swiftness. Plus it has wings, which also means swiftness. Plus four heads. Anyone want to take a stab at this? Historically? Well, <clears throat> Alexander the Great, yeah. initially when he died, his uh, empire was divided into four. I can only remember Ptolemy, but mm-hmm. the rest were... Yeah. I forget. This hadn't happened yet, when it was, as this is written. And so it's talking about that world order that is coming, that is going to be divided into four heads, because... It's it's Alexander the Great who brings Greek culture uh, to that region. That's why the New Testament is written in in Greek. He comes about 300 years or so before Christ, and he dies at a at a at a very young age. And after he dies, his kingdom is divided between basically four different generals, and uh, uh, that's the four heads here. So the third beast of leopard, he's swift. Alexander the Great he conquered swiftly. I mean, he just tore through. Uh, Europe and Asia, like you, you just couldn't believe it. Uh, this represents Greece, uh, and again, after his death, it was uh, divided into four parts. Now, we know of those; those existed. Okay, until then, there, until now, there has not been another uh, great country that has has dominated like those countries. We've had, you know, Hitler tried to do that, but he didn't succeed. He just got parts of Europe, but he didn't get all of Europe. He didn't get Asia. He didn't get whatever, but he was he was trying to do that. But now it's talking about a fourth beast here. And this fourth beast has ten horns. What do you think ten horns represents? A horn. Leaders. Huh? Leaders. Leaders, it also represent uh, countries. You know, uh, you know, scripture, you know, your horn will be exalted. Your country will be exalted. You will be exalted. Uh, um, so ten horns, which represents, in a sense, ten kingdoms. And then a small horn emerges. Uh, in verse 23 and 28, when we get to in a second, it's going to explain this fourth beast 
better. So I'm going to kind of hold it there for for a second, unless you really want to get into it. But it's talking about a fourth beast that's going to rise up. It's going to be basically a ten-nation conspiratory group. Okay? Um, So, has there ever been a time in history where you've had ten nations or so that have tried to dominate or have the potential to dominate. Because, you know, getting countries together is pretty hard. Everybody was getting excited about the economic community of Europe. Yeah, economic community, right. yeah. What were you going to say? Well, it's not 10, but I think of when they say, like, the G8 summit... Yeah, those kind of things, and what he's saying. We now have a scenario where you have countries, 8, 10. At one point, European economic community was about 12, and England pulled out and all that stuff. And so basically uh, what you have now is a remnant of quite possibly 10 nations that are going to come together as a force, but then this little horn which seems very uh, inconspicuous. It doesn't seem like this was, would, would, would cause much problems, but this little horn <coughs> rises up out of that. Okay? And so out of that, what you have is a scenario for when you read Revelation that you have the Antichrist coming as a man of peace who comes out of that European economic community region? He comes out as as humble as as a uh, um, as a man of peace, and then it just goes south. It just goes weird, and then he proclaims himself to be God, and all things go wrong. We'll get more into that, but this fourth beast is talking about a group of nations that are going to come together to try. And, and now dominate the world. And so do we have a scenario now where nations are trying to dominate? And can they? If, especially in the last year and a half, I've noticed it. Yeah. I mean, uh, how about all the cyber attacks? Mm-hmm. If you just knock us out, cyber attack, and we can't do anything, boom, we're, we're stuck, you know. And uh, uh, so what you have now is nations making unholy alliances for world domination, right? And this is, this is the classic downfall of humanity, man's lust for power, right? And, and so it's, it's going to be played out end time events this way and so you know 30 40 years ago you probably couldn't see this scenario quite so much but then once the EEC came on the European economic community came came along yeah it got a lot of buzz because all of a sudden it was like oh now this this is this you know so that's kind of the thing you have we're, we're, we're going to break it down a little bit more in a second so any thoughts or questions on that yes seems like the media slash social media in itself is a country, although not geographically, 
it just seems like it's a nation upon its own. What is it? What is it? What is? What are they trying to do? It, it to me, it just seems like you know you have certain leaders of these organizations that mobilize a narrative in their direction that's favorable for their advertisers and their ultimate product, and it creates a lot of chaos between folks that wouldn't talk amongst each other personally in, in such a way. I don't know. Something. It just. I know it's not a country, but it, to me, mentally, it's like another country. But alliances will be built, and you know, and and things will be in shape. Because when you look at end time events, and you think, okay, how could this happen? How could this scenario happen if each country controls its own destiny and doesn't fall into this? And then all of a sudden, economically, you see things change. I mean, two hundred years ago, the Middle East was just a dust bowl. Nobody cared anything of it, and then all of a sudden they discovered oil. And it becomes the center of commerce. Not the Chamber of Commerce, no offense. <laughs> and so, yeah, all of a sudden, now it begins to line up with Scripture. Because Scripture says that's going to be the center of all this stuff. And yeah, and, and again, as I, as I told you before, the reason they don't want Israel, one of the reasons is because Israel is the only warm water port on the on the Mediterranean, they can ship all their stuff out through that warm water port. That's why they want to get rid of Israel, among other things. So that's that's part of the deal there. So we we live in a time where now these scenarios are kind of like, well, I I don't really get it. Now these scenarios are kind of like, okay, it's sort of like this, it's sort of like that. It doesn't mean it is it. Not isn't doesn't mean it is it, but. Uh, it could be the forerunner of things that are coming. Well, I noticed, like, I think in Afghanistan, where there's a lot of issue today as well, I saw a picture of some folks in, like, 1975 and 4, uh, where men and women were just dressed freely and just enjoying themselves casually. Very, women held jobs, women went to school, got educated, it was very, uh, almost cosmopolitan. Mm -hmm. It looked and, like a normal... And then Taliban and the others came in and just changed all that. You know, dictatorship and, and just changed all that. That's 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 the byproduct of, of these things because in order to have nations doing things, you have to break a nation's will and make it dependent upon something. So you break its will and you make it dependent on something. And so when you read Revelation and you see about the Antichrist... He rises up at a time where there's war and things, and he comes as a man of peace. He, you know, he, he he brokers these deals, and everybody, oh, this is great. We have peace in this area where we've never had it. It's good for business. Everything is wonderful. And then three and a half years later, it's just chaos. And it ends up in time stuff. And the scripture says, unless Christ returns, you know, the world would blow itself up. And so when that happens, you know, we don't know. So... We can see the the mixing of this, you know, how it's come about. So, so more of this will be explained as, as we go along. So we can always come back to any questions that you have. But I want to get to this Ancient of Days. I've always been intrigued with this title, Ancient of Days. I just, I just like it. <laughs> Verse 9 to 12. He says, he kept looking. Now, this is in a dream, right? He kept looking. Until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His gesture was like, his vesture was like white snow, 
and the hair of his head was pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames, his wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and myriads and myriads were standing before him. The court sat, and the books were opened. Remember, in Revelation, the books will be open. The books were open. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. This little horn is now speaking boastful words, right? I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. What does this sound like to anybody? Does this ring like anything we've read before? In Revelation, it talks about judgment. Judgment, yeah, we're going to be getting to that in a second. Yeah, there's, well, there's judgment there, but who's the Ancient of Days? God, ancient of days. Yeah, because you know, this is quite clear. You know, his vesture was white like snow. His hair was like like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were burning fire. Remember when we read in Ezekiel chapter one about about the wheels and it was moving and wherever it lifted and then we, we dis- dissected it and we said this is showing the throne room of God and how the spirit moves and all that. So again, understand it. In, in terms of what we already know from Ezekiel. He's just getting another view, another picture of the throne room of God. We have a lot of a lot of references in Scripture to the throne room of God. There, there just isn't one, 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 one picture of the throne room of, of God. There's several pictures that we have, but God is always pure uh, fire. There's always uh, pure metal. Uh, gold, you know, silver, uh, you know, eyes that penetrate, look right through you, kind of thing. Uh, so this is the beginning of vision of judgment. The nations will be judged. Nations that try for world denomination will will be domination, not denomination. Domination will be judged, and their their uh, um, um, empires will cease to be. You know. Uh, there's been many attempts to do this. Roman Empire tried it at one time. And the Roman Empire just, you know, at one time it was so good, so great in parts of Europe. And then all of a sudden, you know, and it just it just dissolved. You know, you know, you know what killed the Romans off? You don't know? Oh, too bad. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that what they found out, archaeology found out, that what killed the Romans off was their own advancement of technology in a sense. Their vessels that they ate with were made out of lead. So they did pottery and they did all these things. They did a slow death of lead. In in in, in I don't know if you've ever uh, read about what lead does to you. It it you you slowly lose your mind. If you're exposed to lead over a long period of time, you know, being a baby boomer, I survived lead paint, 
lead toys, lead whatever. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's not like any little trace of lead is going to hurt you. But when you're cooking every day and your stuff is going into lead and you're consuming lead every day, I feel that this is one of the things that did it. Plus bad leadership and some other things. It just wasn't the lead. But that was one of the things that really, because uh, some of their leaders made some really strange decisions. And they wondered how, how did they how did they get in this position? And some some theorized that it was they were just going they were just going crazy. So, so ancient of days. This is God. This is the judgment here. Then, verse thirteen and fourteen. I kept looking in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the ancient of days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. And all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Who's this? Christ. Messiah. Now, realize when Daniel's writing this, he doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't. He's just relaying his vision. We look at it, we read it, and we go, oh, son of man, coming, he gets dominion and his kingdom is everlasting. We automatically know. Daniel's just writing this. Daniel doesn't understand a lot of what he's seen. It's like Ezekiel. Ezekiel doesn't understand a lot of the stuff that he's writing down. John, when he's writing Revelation, he doesn't understand a lot of the stuff that he's writing. He's writing about end time events with nuclear warfare and stuff. And how is he going to explain that? How is he going to understand that when, you know, they don't even have, you know, uh, repeating rifles in those days, you know. So, yeah, this is uh, Christ, the Son of Man, and uh, Esther. Yes. Sorry. Is this a so? This is an example of Jesus in the Old Testament. He's everywhere in the Old Testament. Yes. And this is where I got confused, where I used the word epiphany because I, I didn't realize that it, it was applied differently, as opposed to that whenever Christ is mentioned in some way in the Old Testament. Is there a, a, a word or something that's known in the uh, theology community uh, of when Christ appears in the Old Testament, or it's just a just appears in the Old Sometimes Testament? Sometimes when you have a revelation of God, it's called a, a theophany. Theo, meaning God. Okay. I remember it was ophany, so that's the what ophany. it is. I had it wrong. It's yeah. theophany, not yeah. Yeah. epiphany. Yeah. Okay. Epiphany is more you have a personal revelation over something based on what you've learned, but uh, theophany is an encounter with God. So when somebody comes to salvation, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a theophany because they're having an encounter with God that they, they've never had before. All of a sudden, this God is real. This God is alive. This God is calling me. And I'm submitting myself. So it's an encounter with God. And that's not the only way we encounter God. We, 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 we have that all the time when we get revelation of God as we're reading scripture or praying or watching, you know, the birds fly to Capistrano. I don't know. You know, you get revelation of, of who God is. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Uh, just a, a little side note. Psalm chapter 2. You don't have to turn to it. I'm going to read it. Psalm 2, verse 6 to 9. This is what's known as a royal psalm. It's a psalm... Uh, about royalty. And so Psalm chapter 2, verse 6 to 9, it says, 
But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as thine inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence, with joy, and with trembling. Do homage to the sun, lest he become angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. In other words, Psalm there is basically saying what this is saying. Okay? It's just another way again. It's just another layer of, of, of the throne room. It's another layer of, of interaction. Uh, Messiah, God, uh, dominion being given, and uh, rule, authority, all of those things that sometimes we think are just in the Gospels. They're not in the Gospels. And to Ray's point, when you look in the Old Testament, everything is pointing here. It's just sometimes we don't realize it's pointing here. Because for all this stuff to take place, this has to happen. Right? And so sometimes you're, you're reading and you're, you're getting information of salvation, but then sometimes you're getting and reading information that refers to judgment, which is the second coming. Judgment is the second coming. First is humble servant, lamb slain, you know, slaughter, didn't open his mouth, as opposed to the conquering king who will meet in the air and will, you know, judge the nations, living the dead, and all that stuff. So, thoughts, questions? Now, interpretation of the four beasts. Again, so I say in Scripture, when you when you look at Scripture, it's like a painting that if this was a painting, it's not. This was a painting, and it's hanging. How do you look at the picture? Like this? Or do you stand back and stand back and contemplate the entire thing? So the problem is sometimes you look at scripture like this without the context of everything that's being said. So that's why sometimes when you read something, if you keep reading, you're going to get the answer. Or you're going to get an understanding of what he's talking about by what he said prior to. So you always have to pull back from Scripture. Look, that's why I say context, context, context. You want to put it in context. Uh, uh, Because that's where the power of Scripture is, in the context. If you take it out of its context, it has no power. It has to be in its context. So, verse 15. Daniel 7, verse 15 to 22. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. Yeah, right? Right? Have you ever had those kind of dreams or something where you wake up and you're just, wow, I don't want to go back to that or whatever it was, or it just alarms you or something like that? He's distressed over this. 
And rightly so, because God has used him to interpret dreams. And now he's interpreting his own dream. Verse 16. I approached one of those who were standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. So right here, he's going to explain it. Doesn't mean he's going to give you an exhaustive detail, but he's going to explain it. Verse 17. These great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise from the earth. So when I was telling you about kings and nations and stuff, I'm not making these things up because I already read this part. <laughs> okay? And, and, and knowing the other things that uh, go with this and the other things that are uh, going to come out in Daniel later on and some stuff that's in Zechariah and things that are in Ezekiel and, and stuff. Obviously, it's in the book of Revelation. So I can make those little leaps. Verse 18. But the saints of the highest one... Now notice, this is New Testament language. Saints. Saints is not a terminology that is used for the people of God in the Old Testament. It's my people, the people of God. Hebrews, Israeli. In the New Testament, the saints are who? Those who are saved. Right? We are the saints. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom. Yes, go ahead. I'm a little confused. Help her out, Lord. (laughs) So... Is he having more than one vision in one night? It's one. It's one long vision. It's it's one long deal, and so he gets some stuff up. And what happened? What we read before, he's getting the vision of the four kings, and then he gets this ancient of days, and then now he's in the vision, and now he's first person. He's asking questions in the vision in the dream. So have, have you ever been in your dream? Have you ever been interacting in your dream? Like in my dreams, I'm always looking for something. I want an answer for something. And nobody's giving it to me. And so I'm usually pretty ticked off, you know. <laughs> That's why I wake up and say, I don't need this, you know. But he's now in the first person. He's, 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 he's asking. He's inquiring of it. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. So verse 17, these great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise from the earth. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. This is New Testament, right? Mm -hmm. So again, it's pointing to what? Because we don't get the kingdom without the cross. So again, it's types and shadows. It's pointing in the direction of. Let's see. Then I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast. So he's confused about the fourth beast. He's, he can kind of understand the other ones, but this fourth beast is tripping him up. Which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, and his teeth of iron and his claws of bronze, which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet. I'll hold it there. Remember when we were in Revelation John does not understand what he's seen. And he's limited by how he expresses what he sees by the world that he knows. He can't talk of airplanes and helicopters and because he's never seen one. Right? He can't talk of, of, of missiles, but he can talk about fire from heaven. 
He can talk about destruction, but he 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 doesn't understand. He's not going to say, "Oh yeah, that was a Saturn's V five rocket." You know, he, he's not going to do that because that's not. He doesn't have revelation of that. So when he's explaining this, this beast was different than all the others. So in other words, this last beast is going to be different. He's going to do some different stuff. He's going to be exceedingly dreadful. In other words, when we're in Revelation, we realize that Satan enters in to the Antichrist. So that's exceedingly dreadful. His teeth of iron, his claws of bronze, which devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. Again, in World War II, when Hitler was was going across Europe and through Poland and stuff, a lot of people were saying, you know, problem with that was Israel wasn't a nation yet. Uh, uh, but it, it, you know, it had that kind of destruction. And so when Hitler first started off, yeah, he was just bringing terror and just, you know, destroying everything. And uh, verse 20. And the meaning of the ten horns. Remember I said I was going to explain it. And the meaning of the ten horns that were on his head. And the other horn which came up and before which three of them fell. So in other words, it's saying that of the ten, three of those horns, three of those leaders, three of those countries are going to be conquered. The smaller one is going to come up and there's going to, there's going to be a conquering going on uh, there. It says, and before which three of them fell, namely the horn, which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts, which was larger in appearance than its associates. So this is, again, you know, the boasting of the Antichrist. And, and you know, because again, he proclaims himself to be God. And what sets up the final destruction, as we read in Revelation, is that he goes into the temple. Well, the temple's not built, so it can't happen tomorrow. But once that temple is built, that's the final piece. Because, uh, and even if it was built tomorrow, that doesn't mean the next day we have the Antichrist. It could be a long time. But that temple has to be built because the Antichrist will um, proclaim himself to be God. Not any different than you get these false prophets like David Koresh and others, Jim Jones and whatever, that just entice people, hook them, and make them dependent on them, and then tell them that they are God, and then get them to do horrible things. You know, and you, you saw what happened to the Branch Davidians, and, you know, ended up in Waco, and, and all that stuff. Uh, just just, uh, just a tragedy, because they believe this guy, who in the beginning was an enlightened teacher, but eventually he began to tell them that he was God. And they bought it. And it cost them dearly. Uh, verse 21. I kept looking. And the horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. <coughs> Notice, the Antichrist is going to rage war with who? Church. The saints. So when things are going down the pike that take away things from the church, you now have the spirit of the Antichrist at work. Because, obviously, Satan does not want the church to flourish. If the church is strong, then we're going to be doing what? We're going to be evangelizing, we're going to be warning people, 
But what's going to happen is, as it says in Revelation, the people are going to be be confused. They're going to they're going to follow whatever. They're going to get the mark of the beast because they won't be able to buy and sell and trade, and they won't be able to do all these things. So they're going to go along with it, and instead of listening to the gospel and getting saved, doesn't mean people won't be getting saved. People will be getting saved. They're going to follow that route, and it's going to lead to destruction. Was it during current times some businesses and establishments were labeled or deemed essential business, but churches were not? Who did that? The governor, I believe. And the, and the mayor, you know. Actually, part of it came from the CDC, scientists. Okay. Scientists, for the most part, are... Yeah, and and um, because science can figure it out, science. See, from the age of the Enlightenment, from the from the 1400s on, it's been this idea that we can figure it out, we can overcome it, we can approach God, kind of thing. And so, yeah, so it it takes somebody to put this out there. It takes somebody else to fuel it. It takes somebody else to say yeah, and now use that as authoritative. Because in my mind, the church absolutely is 100% essential. But for pagans, people where there's absence of God, for people that don't follow God, that don't want to follow God, the church is not essential. And they don't want the church telling us, telling them anything, because we're going to tell them what? The truth. truth. You're sinning, you're wrong. It's like, what the pastor say Sunday about if someone sins? Go to him, right? And if he still doesn't listen, take somebody else. And if he still doesn't listen, take it to the, to, to, to the church. Because we want to make sure people understand what's going on rather than just saying, well, it's not my problem. No, it is our problem. But a liquor called. store is essential. Liquor store. Hmm? Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Marijuana stores, uh, they're, they're essential. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Interesting. So, again, this is why when we first closed, when all this stuff happened, and then after about five weeks or whatever, I started getting antsy and grumpy, and then I finally said no. Because it's like, all these things cannot be essential, and we're not essential. We're going to open up, but if you feel you need to stay home, great, stay home. That's not a problem. But I'm going to keep the doors of the church open for anybody who wants to, wants to come in. You know, and so that's just my little private war. Anyway, that should be uh, the cry of the church, from what I understand. So verse 22. Until the Ancient of Days came, and the judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one, and the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Bottom line, we win. Right? We win. This is Old Testament. We win. We're the saints. Again, this is not Old Testament type language as saints. You don't get this language, you know. It's 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 it's, it's Hebrews, it's aliens, it's uh, it's uh, 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 Israelis, it's it's uh, God's God's chosen people. But the saints is what you get in the New Testament. So Daniel, which is written very close to the end of the Old Testament dispensation period, is now bridging to the New Testament. Is bridging to here. That's why I say if. This is the Old Testament, and this is the New Testament. 
what the authors of the New Testament do, they don't write anything new. They just take the Old Testament and bring it through the cross and say, this is what it means now that Jesus Christ has come, fulfilled his ministry, died, resurrected, seated, right hand of the Father. Kingdom age has now come. This is what it means. It's why Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with all this stuff. Why would he do away with it? Because it's pointing to him. But if we don't know that, you know, I get rankled by people that say, well, I'm a New Testament Christian. Well, you just threw away that much of your Bible. By the way, that's where all the blessings are anyway. Uh, So you throw that away. You're on your own. Yes. Steve, where do they base their idea that um, they're going to be just a New Testament church? Because I knew, well, one of my sisters was going to a church like that, and um, we were talking yeah. about... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not understanding... When you read something in the New Testament, say you read something in... Mark, you read it in the context of that chapter. Then you read it in the context of Mark as a whole. Then you understand it in the context of the Gospels. Then you understand it in the context of how it relates to the Bible as a whole. Because there's nothing in Scripture that contradicts itself. It all affirms. That's why... People say, well, they have all these other books and and they weren't included in the Bible because they do not affirm the law. They don't affirm what God has done. They weren't written by the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, they were not included. So you you have to have an understanding of of the greater picture. That's why some churches won't, won't, won't allow musical instruments because musical instruments aren't mentioned in the New Testament. Yeah, that's true. So we get all that praise, all that praise and worship. That comes from David and the choirs and the saf. And they call it aliyah, going up, praising God, going to the temple and praising God and worshiping God. That's all Old Testament stuff. The New Testament is just, this is how we take it. And now this is how the church forms. But all this stuff is still there. It's like somebody that would say, well, the sacrificial system is done away with. No, it's not. Jesus is the final sacrifice. Sacrifice is still needed for eternity. So the sacrificial system is there. It's just, it's not through doves and rams and, you know, all that other stuff. Jesus is the, the sacrifice. So, yeah, it's, it's a extremely elementary reading of the Bible. And it's very, um, just haven't done their homework. You would think that if they were to follow that strictly, they would have to exclude all of Jesus' quotes where he quoted the Old Testament. Thank you. A lot of Deuteronomy in there and stuff. What was the Bible Jesus read? Yeah. The Old Testament? I've been wanting to tell this for a long time. You know how we have the... uh, New King James Version. Mm-hmm. 
Well, the Bible Jesus quoted out of was a really, really old King James Version. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Also, um, there's somewhere in the Bible it says that if anybody adds or takes away, yes, yes. does that follow? Yeah, that? judgment. You're going to judge for that. Yeah, you don't. You don't change one, one thing. And again, Jesus himself said, "I, I came to fulfill it." Not do away with it. Fulfill it. So, right there, if you're in the New Testament, and you say you're a New Testament person, and you read that, then all of a sudden the light has to go off. And say, wait a minute, I better find out what he's fulfilling, because if I don't understand that, then I'm not going to understand why he came, and what's the purpose, and all this other stuff. You know? And again, the blessings are all in the Old Testament. They're all in the Old Testament. You know? So... Um, any other thoughts, questions on that? This last little part won't take long. Verse 23 to 28. Thus he said, The fourth beast will be the fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, will devour the whole earth, tread it down, and crush it. As for the ten horns of the kingdom, ten kings will arise, another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. Remember I said he would he would overthrow three Three nations. And he will speak out against the Most High, wear down the saints of the Highest One, and he will intend to make alteration in times and in law. He's going to try and change history. He's going to try and change the law. Right? And they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. What's times, what's time, times, and half a time? Three and a half years. Three and a half years? Okay, hold that thought and we'll get back to it. Verse 26, But the court will sit for judgment, and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated and destroyed forever. Right? This is the Antichrist. Then the sovereignty and the dominion of the greatest of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve him and obey him. At this point, the revelation ended. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me, and my face grew pale, and I kept the matter to myself. I don't think I should share this with anybody right now. But he wrote it down. Okay. Um, time, times, and half a time. As Larry said, it's a reference to three and a half years. He's saying basically what's going to happen is there's going to be three and a half years of what they think is peace, and then there's going to be three and a half years of utter destruction. Okay. But there's a cross reference here that in Revelation, you can just write this down Revelation 12, 6. Says that the time of the tribulation is going to last 162 days. 162 days is three and a half years. Then in Revelation 11:2 and Revelation 13:5, it says it will last for 42 months. Well, how long is 42 months? It's 1,260 days or three and a half years. 1,262 days. Hmm? 1,262 days. Yeah, 1,260 days. It's three and a half years. 
42 months, three and a half years. So again, this is where sometimes when you when you read it, and if you're not doing the math, sometimes you think, okay, is this talking about something different, or why is it like that? Again, it's saying the same thing, written hundreds of years apart. Hundreds of years apart. And, and so it's not going to be telling things exactly the same, but it's going to give us more rounded picture of, of what's going on. So... This little chapter here is saying, this is Daniel's shot to the Gentiles, saying this is what's coming, Gentiles. This is what the end time events are going to be. Obviously, when we read Revelation and the others, we get a more expanded picture of it. That's why I think once we're done with, with Daniel, we'll go to the back half of Revelation and I'll explain all that stuff again while this is fresh in our minds. So we can, we can hook it up um, better. And... Uh, so, thoughts, questions, comments? Pretty intense. Huh? <laughs> what? Pretty intense imagery here. Yeah, Dan- Daniel couldn't handle it. <laughs> and it says, yeah. Um, I don't think this is important, but in sure is. one of the notes in my Bible... You're says, cheating. Hmm? Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it says that this chapter chronologically takes place before chapter 5. In a sense, yes. Yes. That's why when I gave you those those times, 605, 539, 553, those dates, they're not in chronological. And for a second, I, I thought I, I, had, I had put them not in chronological order. That's why. A little different, because it, it talks about in the, in the year of, of Darius. That's a particular time frame. In the time of the second year of Belshazzar, that's a time frame. In the time frame of so and so, so yeah, it, it's again Daniel's sixty-eight years old, but things in the Bible aren't always chronological. And Jewish, it's Jewish literature, and Jewish literature is. I want to tell you this, and I'm going to tell you that, then I'm going to tell you this, and I'm going to tell you that. Oh, by the way, I'm going to tell you this. It doesn't mean you got the story from A to Z. And so that's why when we read the Bible, we go, wait a minute, I lost the narrative, I lost the storyline here, something's repeating itself, because it's, 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 it's Jewish literature, that's the way it's put out. It's, it's the law, it's the prophets, it's the writings, it's the New Testament. But as you assess it as a whole, then it all comes together as one. But again, it takes time and it takes work, it takes homework, to be able to do that cross-referencing and, and, and doing those things, because for the for the casual reader, it's pretty hard to do, unless you're sitting there with two or three commentaries, and you're reading those those commentaries and you're and you're following it, and then even then, unless if you don't know the whole story, you know I I I saw people know the Bible, the story as a whole first, then go back and do the meat of the work. Because now you know the story. You know that Moses was before David. You know when Solomon came in. You know where John the Baptist came in. You know where the apostles came in. You know, so when it's referencing and when it's talking in your mind, you know the time frame. You said, okay, that's during this time. Job was written very early in the early stages of Genesis. Ruth was written such and such. Daniel was written during the time of uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. So you, you have it in your... So you, you, you kind of follow the time frame 
along like that, rather than it just being, when did this happen? Did it happen? Is it going to happen? I'm confused. So it's 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 that's why we have Bible studies and questions. That's why questions are so important. Yeah, you said um, that this guy is going to try to change history. I mean, yeah. uh, it said uh, we're going to try and change the law and yeah. the times. Yeah, the times and the law. Did you say it was kind of lying about history or something like that? I I see that nowadays. Well, I was just going to say, what happens when somebody has power and control? What do they do? Yeah, well, if something's bad, they blame it on their predecessor. Yeah. And uh, even though it's them. Yep, they rewrite history. Yeah. And look at you like this. Yes. Yeah. Well, you don't believe yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm the guy. You. You have to believe me because I'm. Yeah. Kind of. And then walk off. It's yeah. been a long, yeah. long time since since I read 1984. Mm-hmm. But the main character in that book, his job, his duty was to go through newspapers and stuff. And if anything disagreed with the current conditions, he had to cut it out of the newspaper and. You've got that kind of stuff going on today. And, uh, in Revelation, we get when we remember when you go when you're reading about the Antichrist, he also has a helper. Remember, there's someone who gets people to look at him, that, that, that promotes him, and, and kind of pulls the strings behind the scenes and does all this stuff. You know, that, that, that helps people. You know, look at him. He's just as dangerous as the Antichrist. And so there's there's yeah for, for these things to happen. There has to be a lot of people that look away, and there just has to be a few people that 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 instigate and put it put it out there, you know. And so that's the danger again for the church when the, when the church doesn't stand up in, in, in leadership. When I kind of mentioned something about this today, I was at a meeting with uh, leader of uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, Pastor Irwin was there. Erwin was there as well, and uh, we were talking, and I asked a question. You know, I said, I just see a bunch of managers. I don't see leaders. What are you doing to change the narrative so that we have leaders? Because we're going to have to have leaders that point us to the gospel, that point us towards Christ. We, we, we have to have that. You, if you try and manage this, oh, we're going to be okay, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's just... That was my opening shot. I wanted to go more, but Lord got my tongue. <laughs> anyway, he was kicking me, by the way. He's like, <laughs> anyway, uh, any other thoughts, questions on that? So, uh, makes sense? You know, so next week we're going to get into uh, the vision of the rams and the goats. But remember, now we're going to be talking about Israel. So everything is how it affects Israel. Because don't forget, we have a covenant relationship with God. There are several covenants in the Bible that make up the covenant. And Israel has, God has a particular covenant with Israel. And so you have to understand that in end time events, that covenant is still in effect. And so, uh, you know, that God is going to watch over them and make them a nation, do such and such. And then in Revelation, we see where, you know, that nation is evangelized and, and all this other stuff. But God's covenants don't 
fall away like like the rainbow. That's a covenant. Never again will I flood the earth. That's a covenant. That that doesn't change because Jesus came. That doesn't, that doesn't change. And so none of God's covenants change. Uh, so a lot of these things are going to have to do with what God has said to them. And there's going to be warnings in there, just like the prophets. The prophets came and they warned Israel and said, you have disregarded God, you haven't done it, and this is what's going to happen to you. So the next five chapters are going to be focused on Israel and their prophetic, what's going on. And just a little side note, Diego, let me know he's working uh, tonight on the men's meeting for tomorrow. So if you can make it here tomorrow, 7 o'clock to 8, we have a men's meeting. And with that, let's close in prayer. Father God, again, we just thank you that uh, you help us understand these things that we cannot understand on our own. We truly are thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit that helps us understand Scripture, that it is by the Holy Spirit that we're able to receive revelation and and understanding, Lord, and that the Holy Spirit guides our thoughts, guides our understanding. And so, Lord, I just thank you for all of that. And so, Lord, as we, we leave the sanctuary tonight, your presence continue to guide us, strengthen us, encourage us, watch over us, Lord, and keep us safe. And in this, we just give you thanks and praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God.